0: All right. So you ever have one of those weeks where you write a sermon and man it's like pulling teeth? Anybody? Thank you. There's there's been you know, and, and you sit down in front of the text and you know and you know what you want to say, but it just doesn't come out that way. And you wrestle with it and you wrestle with it, and then God gives you another text that doesn't match with really the one, but you can almost try to work it together because well that's what you guys pay me to do to try to find the similarity. in, and so it was one of those weeks for me. I'll tell you, the, the, uh, it just didn't flow right. So I ran out of time, so I'm going to give you what I got. All right, let's go. John, chapter, uh, cha- I don't even know what chapter of John we're in. I think it's 12 or 3 or something. See? All right, we're done. Hey, God bless you all. No, no, there it is. Oh, John 12, okay, good. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna, we're gonna get into it. God, I wanna thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, and even though, God, um, the thoughts of men, the words of men cannot even compare to just a whisper of your spirit. Lord, I just pray that this morning that you're gonna work out the details in what you want us to take away from this, God. You're gonna work out the details in, in everything that we do together as a church. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds. Open our lives to your word this morning. And Lord, I I just ask you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, One quick thing that I forgot to mention, um, Battle of the Bands. Everybody know about the Battle of the Bands? Yeah? August, no, April 27th is the Battle of the Bands. Uh, We still need three more bands to fill up the, the roster. Uh, we're still going to need workers. Mark is going to talk more about that when it gets closer. There's flyers on the back table. Take those and put them everywhere. It's okay if people take them off and crumple them up and get mad at you. I mean, you're 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 working for the Lord. People are going to be mad at you anyway, so you might as well do it for something for church, right? That's it. Let's go. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, "Sir," they said. We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Now, let me give you a little setting of what's going on here. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. They call it the triumphal entry, right? People are stoked. They're thinking the Messiah has arrived. And they're, they're giving a woo hoo and, you know, and they're, they're laying the palms down. And, and everything everything is going really well, seemingly, for Jesus, right? And so the crowd is there. The disciples are there. Things are, things are happening. Things are shaking. But this is a very weird part of the story because in this, first of all, it mentions these people who are Greeks and they're going up to a festival or something, a religious ceremony, the Passover that's taking place in Jerusalem. Okay, that's the first kind of strange thing. The second thing is none of the other gospel writers mention this incident with the Greeks. And the third thing is They ask a question. They want to see Jesus. And then there's nothing. They disappear. We don't know if they ever got their answer. We don't know if they ever uh, got to see Jesus. It was like John thought it was important to write about, but not so important to give any real details about. Now, we could probably assume that these Greeks were God-fearers. They were attracted to Judaism they were attracted to the morality of it they were attracted to the monotheism the worshiping of one God but they were not converts because it would say that they were they were not converts and they probably didn't want to take that final step of circumcision to become converts of the Jewish faith which I can't say I, I would blame them at that point point. and so what we do know is they are on this quest to see Jesus they have taken notice somehow in some way now if Jesus is the savior of the world and then maybe what John is trying to communicate to us here is that the world represented by the Greeks the world is beginning not only to take notice of this guy but now begun to seek him the world is finally taking notice of Jesus then what does Jesus do? He completely ignores the whole situation. They go up, hey, Jesus, got some guys looking for you. What's he say? What's he say? He would tell them, the hour has come. It's time. It's, it's, It's going to take place. Here it is. And what's going to happen is not tragedy. But what is going to happen is his triumph over death once and for all. This is that the, the the he would be glorified. You know why don't we go to the next verse? Because that's that's in there. That's what I want to see, just flip it up one. but um, you know this is not what I want. Go back. Anyway, we're going to go on. I must have missed a verse somewhere. This is so embarrassing. Go back. Yeah, I missed 23. Hold on. Okay, here's 23. Ready? Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's the first I really wanted you to hear. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. See, he totally ignores the question, or he totally ignores these guys coming to look for him. Instead, he goes right into, the hour has come. This is it. Everything that we've worked for, everything that we've talked about, everything that we've been moving toward is now arrived. The hour has come. There's no turning back at this point. The son will be glorified. And now the people that are with Jesus, the disciples, and even, even just the crowds that are with them, they've got to be really excited at this point. They've got to be like, man, this is, this is, this is it. This is, this is, they must have butterflies in their stomach because they have, just, they have just considered him, shouted to him that he is the Messiah, recognized it. And when they hear that the Messiah is going to be glorified, they have this perception in their minds of what's going to take place. That he is once and for all going to take over. That the kingdoms of the world are going to be groveling at his feet, including Rome. And that he will finally set them free from Roman oppression. And this is something they've been waiting for for hundreds in hundreds of years. This is something that they've, the that they've uh, the prophets would would have talked about in the scriptures. This is this is it. This is a time of national pride. But for Jesus, it means something very different. For Jesus, his glory means something very, very different. Now we can go to the. The way of glory for Christ is cross, And it's only through his death that the plan of God could finally come to fruition. It's only through his death that, that, that what God had planned from the beginning is going to be carried out. He is going to have to suffer at the hands of people who hate him, who don't believe in him, and he is going to be killed so that in the end his teachings, his words, And his life can can spread out into the world and take root and begin to change everything. And he continues to put this idea of death, not only for himself, but for those of his disciples, those of of the people that are going to follow him, that are going to serve him. Remember, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Those who want to save their life, they're going to lose their life. And that word to lose or the idea, the expression to lose can be translated as to destroy. The people that are focusing on what this world can give them, only on the things that they can gather, that they can take, that they can bargain for. When you focus on the world, you are destroying your own life. But those who are willing, those who hate their life, and not like hate like hate like emo-goth hate or anything like that, but just that, that that, that you look to God first. You look to the things of the Lord first. Those people, those people will gain life. Not only eternal life, but life in abundance here. The hour has come for the Son to be glorified. See, if you love your life and the things this world has, it's a self-defeating process. But when you look to God for everything, you have life in abundance. Whoever serves Jesus, Father, Jesus. Whoever hates their life is going to have life. You got to put God first. That seems to be. That seems a lot to ask for just us people, right? Check check out this verse in, in Hebrews. Now I'm going to see if this thing's going to work here. Okay. Oh. oh. During the days of Jesus' life, Hebrews 5 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The book of Hebrews is a very interesting study. It's one of those books that we don't spend enough time in, I think. And what's what's being written here seems very telling for me because there's something that he writes right up. He says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who can save him from death. And so it's almost like the writer here has this, this personal knowledge of Jesus stressing out over the cross. Now, all we really have is our, in the gospel stories, we have the garden stories, the garden when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's just on his knees, and he's just, he's just overwhelmed by what is going to take place. And so there's something that's, that's going on here in Jesus' life, right? It says in the gospel stories that he was, his, his, soul, his soul was overcome with sorrow to the point of death, and he's pleading with God, God, if there's another way that we can do this, if there's another way that we can make this thing happen, I'm open to it. But he puts that little caveat thing in there. He says, but let your will be done and not mine. He's asking God. He's pleading with God. And maybe, just maybe, that wasn't the first time that it happened. It's the first time that we have it recorded in the Bible. But up here it says during the days of Jesus' life on earth that maybe he went to this once or twice before to get on his knees before God because he knows what's going to happen. He knows how this is going to play out. He knows that he's going to suffer the inhumanity of humanity. And things aren't going to end well for him in the humanistic perspective. So we have the writer of the Gospels, and we have the writer in Hebrews, and we have Jesus just, just crying out to God in prayer, just asking. And It's almost like I get this sense that part of him, I mean, he understood that that this had to be done, but maybe part of him in his humanist didn't understand why it had to be done this way. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to look at it from, from him being... Uh, a human, and just crying out to God. I mean, have you ever been overcome with sorrow to the point of death? I mean, I know some of you have, and that's just a lousy place to be, and that's where Jesus was in his humanness. See, the Son of God gets on his knees, and and God doesn't I mean, he did say, "Let's not my will, but your will." And God answered that part of the prayer, but the whole part about some other way, God didn't answer that prayer. Now I know no one in here, because I'm looking out here, and I can just see the spiritual heavyweights that we have here. And no one here probably has has never gone to God and not had their prayers answered, right? Especially, I mean, He's good about coming in when where and how you pray, right? Nobody's ever suffered through with Jesus and, and just God said, uh-uh, right? Everyone? No? Anyone? Is this thing on? Jesus didn't get a pass. You know, some say that, oh, it was easy for him. It was easy for him. He was. He was God. So it was easy for him to go through this whole thing. No, I, I don't read that in the scriptures. What I read is in this, in this perfect human flesh, it was an imperfect human flesh, and he is crying out to God, please, if there's another way we can do this, then let's, let's do it. And then the text would go on to say that he learned through his experience. He learned through his suffering. He learned through the cross the Messiah, the only Son of God, begotten, not made, one and being with the Father. Through all things were made. He did not get a pass. He had to suffer through the obedience of following what the Father had for him. He learned what it was like to follow God. Now, it's interesting for me, it's an interesting idea that Jesus came into this whole gig. He was already obedient. Jesus was obedient right from the very start. He would fill, fulfill God's plans perfectly right from the beginning. So I was thinking, like, what could he possibly learn? Like, how do you learn obedience through suffering when he was already obedient in everything? And so I really wrestled with it, and I was kind of, like, floating through and, and trying to figure it out in my own mind. And I just kind of landed on this one idea that, that, that he learned what it's like to be human. He learned that following God is hard. And it's difficult sometimes. He learned the cost of what God sometimes asks us to do. Jesus gets it. He understands it. He learned that this is not an easy journey. He learned what it's like to be human and what it's like to live a faith journey here on earth. And what it's like to have the Father Ask you to do something and it doesn't make sense and it's going to cause you harm and hurt. You learn how to be obedient through that. You know, in, in the Hebrews text of chapter 5, the writer is talking about Jesus being the high priest, the once and for all high priest. The high priest in Jewish tradition, he was the person that was elected, he was chosen, and this person would be the that once a year, he would offer that atoning sacrifice in the Holy of Holies on behalf of all the people seeking the forgiveness of God. In fact, it was so intense. And nobody can go into the Holy of Holies except for the high priest. It was so intense. They used to tie a rope around him in case he didn't come out right away. They would yank him out. I mean, that's how incredibly intense it was for the high priest. That's how serious and sacred it is. And now we have Jesus who is not offering a sacrifice on our behalf. He is offering the sacrifice. He is offering himself on behalf of us that we can know forgiveness. The once and for all, never has to be repeated, permanently valid, atoning sacrifice has been offered through Christ. And here's the thing, man. He gets it. He is the high priest. He's lived through it. He's lived through the weakness. He understands what it's like to live this life. He understands the cross. Intimately. He, he knows the physical and the emotional pain that, that that we experience in our lives. The inhumanness of the human condition. He knows what it's like to have his prayers unanswered. He knows what it's, he knows what it's like not to fully understand. He knows what it's like to experience hardship and being obedient to the word of the Lord. And because of that, when he calls us, he can be gentle with us. and He will lead us. And he knows exactly what he is calling us into. He knows exactly what he is calling us into. He knows very well that to follow him could be could be risky business for some of you. It could be very risky for some of you. You may risk your security. You may risk your, your safety, your comfort. You may risk your good name. Yes, you'll get the reward at the end, a reward that the world can never, ever even come close to. But you may be asked to risk a lot, to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus, to put him first in your life and put everything else in second. May put you in situations that could be dangerous. And it could cause you to make choices that just don't, seem, just don't seem reasonable, just don't seem like that's the way it should be. Real, physical, emotional, spiritual danger. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells the disciples, I am sending you out like, like uh, sheep among the wolves. Just so you know, that's not an uplifting, feel-good analogy, okay? Because wolves eat sheep. All right, and not like they slaughter them nicely and then they cook them up over fire. no, they rip them apart. What Jesus is telling them is, you know what, you may be in danger your very life. people are looking to devour you. Now, that's not one that puts people in the seats I, I get it, but that's 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 what the Bible tells us you know i i think I think we get it. I think as a church, we've talked about it enough that following Jesus could be hard, right I mean. I mean, he, I mean, he suffered with, with, with petitions of the Lord, just like, God, no, please, and he had it hard, and we know that, that it's, it's, it's difficult. But here's the thing, I think we got soft because the things that we really consider difficult, I, I, and, and listen, I'm not pointing a finger at you all, because I'm included in this, I, I think about the things that we really look at as difficult, like uh, serving. I got to got to I g I I gotta, I gotta live sacrificially, like and give of my time, give a talk about money again, I gotta give of my finances, and you know, and I gotta try to I gotta try to make serving like almost a lifestyle. I mean, that's hard, right? And and and, and it's and, and you know, do it more than actually just you know, once in a while church event. I mean, come on, I mean, that can be very difficult to live a lifestyle of serving instead of just making it a church event and oh let's not even get into church they expect me to go to church every week okay well i go to church most weeks i go to church some weeks because i mean come on man it's summertime and it's hard to make it to church every single week you know, we got beach days he starts at 10 15 for pete's sake by the time i get out of here i mean 10 and 2 those are the tanning hours right i don't make it to the beach in time I mean, really, every single week, that's hard. And then, of course, the wine trail in Connecticut's opening up soon. We got to hit the wine. I mean, come on, Sunday's the perfect day for that. It's hard to go to church every single week. And then, when I'm there, I'm expecting to be what? Transparent in front of people. I got to get to know people. They got to get to know me. I'm, I just can't get away with, hey, how you doing? Great. And, you're, and your life is falling apart behind you, but you're like, yeah, great. No, that's not what we expect here. And so it's hard to be transparent. It's hard to actually care about people and get to know them. It's even harder to allow yourself to be known. So it's hard to follow Jesus, isn't it? And then, you oh, read the Bible? You're tired at the end of the day. You ever like sit down and read the Bible and read the same in line like seven times? And you just like phase in and out. You're like, okay, I'm done. God must be calling me to sleep. ah Right? I gotta read the Bible and then and then you know there's these Bible studies where like small groups of people get together and we have to read stuff and I gotta order a book. That's hard, man. I gotta read another book on top of having to read the Bible. And oh wait, you know, it's hard enough for me to live what little I read anyway. And now you expect me to be accountable to other people? Come on, man. That's 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 a hard thing about following Jesus right there. Accountability. Mm-mm. I'd rather be accountable to myself that way I can go easy on myself or hard if I need to go hard on myself. And then there's that whole prayer thing. We're expected to pray. That's hard to pray, to commit to prayer. I mean, we've already established that. I I firmly believe if God worked at the drive-thru at McDonald's, he would get fired in a week because he never gets the order right. Um, I mean, right? He never seems to get it right. We've said he doesn't seem to listen to reason. And so, you know, prayer, why bother doing something that this doesn't seem to have the results I want them to have anyway? Oh, and that once a month prayer thing at the church. <laughs> it's summertime. You really expect me to come out and pray and do something? I don't pray in public. I don't like to pray in public. I'm not a good prayer in public. So it's hard. Now listen, I'm not trying to guilt anyone. here. What I'm working with is shame. That's something completely different, all right? I'm not trying to guilt you. Because, yes, following Jesus is hard, but the things that we consider difficult, the things I've considered difficult, I mean, really, Dennis? Really? What we've just talked about are just basic tenets of a healthy relationship with the Lord. That's nothing special. You read the Bible so that you can get to know God a little bit. You pray to him because that's what the Bible says that we should do, to get to know God a little bit. You come to church so you can join the community of faith and be encouraged and get to know God a little bit. These are just basic relational things that he asks of us. And we think those are hard. Really? Let I me mean, let me remind you. Let me remind you of hard. I don't even know if it's up there. I don't think it is. Second Corinthians. Chapter 11, this is Paul talking, right? And um, this is hard. This is what Paul says about his serving, following Jesus. They've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, a night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food, i've been cold and naked besides everything else i've faced the daily pressures of my concerns of the churches that's hard that's 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 to serve jesus we have to follow him hard that's paul going i'm going to serve christ by following him into the most intense places that that i can find I'm going to be obedience to where God calls me. And listen, I know that God isn't calling you into, uh, some of you into another country, but he may call you into places where people can be vicious. I mean, I'm sure some of you are going to experience that this Easter when you have to go to your in-laws for dinner, right? I mean, sometimes that could be just intense, but he's calling you there to be the light of the world. That's, that's hard. You know, we, I think we have the criteria for God's will just all messed up. What if, just what if, what if, in reality, to put God first to follow Jesus meant that we would put ourselves in very inconvenient, embarrassing, dangerous, financially dangerous, emotionally dangerous, physically dangerous places where the, and do things with the, that the world would say, World. What are you thinking? That's foolish. What if that's what it meant? to serve, follow? Jesus. Okay, I got, I, I got one more thought, one more verse for you guys, and then hopefully this will all make some sense. This is Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or or. Say to one another know the lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the lord for i will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more this is this is the only time in the old testament where there's a new covenant spoken of and man i tell you this opens up some really deep insights to what god wants to do to so the direction that god is moving in and the background for this is the covenant that he made at sinai with with uh, with israel right here's the thing of that covenant it was based upon obedience and not being obedient if they were not obedient to the covenant it brought god's judgment if they were obedient to the covenant it brought god's blessings. it was very black and white but here's here's the thing israel failed in keeping the laws or the covenant that god gave them they failed miserably. They even failed in trying to just worship Him alone and not having other gods. They were completely incapable of any obedience. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get it right, as humanity has proven for since humans have been around. And so God has to step in. Something different has to happen. It has to change. And God says, I myself am going to make the change. I am going to bring something new. I'm going to do a new thing and it's going to be very, very different. It's going to change from what it used to be to what it will be. God is going to fulfill his plan and his covenant. the change is going to be internal. The change is going to be something on the inside and this change is going to be Power off. be obedient to the Lord. To. See, the old covenant was written on stone; and it was written, it was an external thing, it was out here. But the new covenant is going to be written in the hearts of people. The new covenant is going to be written in the minds of people. It's going to be in our desires, and it's, the transformation is going to be so complete. We're not going to need prophets and priests anymore. Have you ever heard of the term the priesthood of believers? The transformation is going to be so complete that we all will be priests. And that we all can get involved in God's stuff. And we all can go to the Lord one-on-one. The Holy of Holies enter right in. Jesus opened it. We're not going to have to teach people anymore. Know the Lord because those that have had this covenant written on their hearts will know the Lord and have that deep desire for Him because to know Him is a very intimate, intimate relationship. And it touches our minds and it touches our emotions and it touches our will and our desire. It touches our very soul. It's a relationship that says the old is gone. The old you is gone. And something new and beautiful has been created. It's the forgiven forgetfulness of our sins that the Lord promises. He will remember our sin no more. This is His new covenant. This is what He is going to establish with us. This is the gospel. This is Jesus Christ. So, church, we are in the new covenant right We are in what what Jeremiah spoke of right now, the new and everlasting covenant. And it says that we will know God deeply and intimately and our desire will be for Him. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we are not living in that sold-out desire for the Lord, we allowed Him to write that covenant. You react and you respond to this world in a much different way. When the Lord takes His very finger and writes His law across your heart, this is what that law is. It's the law of love. You will love God with everything you got, and you will love your neighbor with everything you got. And even as important, you will love yourself because you have been created in the image of God. He doesn't make junk, and he doesn't make garbage. He makes beautiful masterpieces, and he has created things for us to do. And yes, they are going to be hard, and they're going to be difficult, but if you have allowed this new covenant to seep into you, to to invade your very soul, you will stand in obedience just like Jesus did even through the tears, even through the not understanding, and you will press forward, not in your own strength, not because you got this, not because you can handle it, but because the Spirit of God is now in you and empowered you. Do do, do you understand this? As we're moving through Lent, we're getting closer to Easter. It's It's in two weeks for the celebration of Jesus and his resurrection. But we've been doing the hard work of really looking at ourselves. Man, are you are you sold out for living? I mean, are you are you willing? Are you willing to make the sacrifices? I mean, most people most people are more disciplined in, in the time they go to bed, in their exercise routine, and making sure they have all their, their, their words with friends games caught up than they are with, with just really pursuing the Lord. How sad. Is that? And listen, man, I am not pointing the finger at you because I stand above you in any way, man. I am with you in this. I know what it, I mean. I've got words with friends going on, and I told you before, I'm good. I'm not pointing my finger, but as a, what 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 would what would a community of faith look like? Christ was our priority. What would a community of faith look like? Christ was a priority. And it didn't matter what. It didn't matter if it brought us to tears. It didn't matter if it was harmful, hurtful. It didn't matter if God called us and we were willing to go, Oh, get this. I'm willing, I'm willing to go. What would a community of faith look like? What would it do to the community that it was in? Let me tell you what it would do. It's an easy one. I got this. Jesus said that if we are to serve Him, we are to follow Him. And he knows exactly what He is calling us into. He knows our human condition. He knows about being tired. He knows about being hungry. He knows all the things that we claim are so difficult in our walk. He has lived through it more and and because of his obedience, he came out the other side, perfected, and because of him, we can know the perfection of his his righteousness, not our own. This doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life, but because of Christ, in God's eyes, you have been made perfect amen that's good so are you willing? At all do Thank you for the words of Jesus and his life and such an example to us. God, I want to thank you for Your grace even in times of our doubt you lavishly pour out on the grace in Christ you you pour poured out to us. But Lord, let us not use that as an excuse. Let us use it. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. Oh, by the way, there's chili for breakfast.